and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. One of my favorite memories as a dad was the way my kids, if they were playing in the yard and saw me drive up, would run to greet me. That always made me think of Proverbs 17.6, the glory of children is their father. Fathers don't deserve it, but God has designed into our children a natural tendency to admire and want time with us, despite our many imperfections. That is reassuring as we continue our series, How God Uses Imperfect Men to Impact Their Kids' Lives. I can't count how many times I have said to God, if you need me to be a perfect dad to work in my kids' lives, they are in deep weeds. Thank goodness you do not. This episode looks at the starting point for parenting well, thinking biblically about what our goal is. Thanks for joining us today for Season 4, Episode number 24 of Mission-Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. As we saw last week, Scripture is quite clear that God makes fathers the ones responsible for raising up their children in the way they should go, even though mothers seem so much better at it. Wives need us to carry the weight when it comes to discipline, which then allows them to flourish and contribute great, vitally necessary assistance. For Christian dads to succeed in this vital leadership calling, we all need to have a clear goal so that we can formulate a strategy to reach the goal and a plan to be implemented. Let's look to Scripture for wisdom for this plan. So, what is the goal of parenting? Cloud and Townsend, in their classic parenting book, Boundaries with Kids, answer, Child-rearing is primarily about helping children develop character that will take them through life safely, securely, productively, and joyfully. In our homes, parents teach our children how the world works, reality. Character is the structure and abilities within us that make up how we operate in life. In other words, character is the sum of our abilities to deal with life as God designed us to. The long-term perspective of parenting is that we are investing in our child so that he can leave us and function as a godly adult in the world God created. The goal of parenting is an independent adult with godly character. Parenting has to do with more than the present. It is fundamentally preparing a child for the future. A child's character is his destiny. Numerous passages of Scripture point to godly character as the target for which we aim as parents. For example, Romans 8.29, which gives us God's target. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
or Galatians 5, verses 19 through 23. Now the works of the flesh, the old nature, are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control, the goal being character. Hebrews 12, 7 and following says, We had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, our God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness, the purpose of parenting, godly character. So what is the pathway to building godly character? As we observed last week, God commands Christian fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's examine four aspects of Paul's teaching. First, do not provoke your children to anger. Paul first identifies how most discipline and training are done by the seat of the pants in an angry reaction to behavior. For example, a dad on the playground says to his son, stop playing on the monkey bars. But his son knows that this command means nothing. His father will not act until he has told the boy four or five times to stay off the monkey bars. So the son continues to ignore his father's command. The father, who is busy talking, yells at him again. But the son knows that his dad is not steamed up enough yet to act. So he ignores him. Finally, the father reaches his limit and explodes. You've got me really angry with you now. Go get into the car. The dad has successfully trained his son not to obey until his father starts to get angry. He also made the issue the father's anger instead of the son's disobedience. This reaction-based parenting teaches a child to ignore a parent's instructions until the parent's anger reaches the boiling point. And anger-based parenting provokes anger in the child. Paul condemns this reactionary approach of provoking children to anger and goes on to explain the opposite approach to discipline, having a plan. The next phrase is bring them up. Dads are not to watch their children grow up, but to actively raise them with intentionality. Actively bringing them up requires us to have a clear goal, a strategy a plan to be implemented. The next phrase, in the discipline. This Greek word is paideia, from which we get pediatric. It means using consequences to train children. A father's punishing authority is not to be used selfishly or reflexively. Rather, it is to be part of a training plan. It's extremely important to note that just explaining right and wrong does not work. Children need to experience consequences, good consequences for doing the right thing and bad consequences for doing the wrong thing. 
Proverbs 22.15, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. As parents stay consistent in their discipline, the child will begin to internalize the pain and reward he is feeling into a rudimentary conscience as he matures and learns that such attitudes please or displease God, his motivation moves toward the more mature motivation of loving God and others from his heart. But there is no shortcut, no way around receiving consequences for good or bad behavior. That is what trains the child's heart. That is what Paul teaches by using the word paideia, discipline. But Paul does continue, and the instruction of the Lord. This word, instruction, means literally to put into the mind. This instruction is, of course, to teach the wisdom of God, the law of the Lord, which is summarized in Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This instruction process also requires intentionality, forming and executing a plan. Let's move on to two parts of a child's sinful nature that have to be overcome in training. The reason that biblical approaches to raising children work so well is that the biblical worldview maintains two vital truths about our children. First, they are priceless image bearers of God and must be treated throughout the training process with dignity and respect, never shaming the children. Second, they are fallen sinners in need of correction, or they will become selfish, egotistical monsters. God makes this clear, for example, in Proverbs 29.15, the rod and reproof give wisdom But a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. I love Cloud and Townsend's description of a newborn child. They are little people who are out of control of themselves and attempting to control everyone around them. They do not want to take control of themselves to adapt to the requirements of mom and dad. They want mom and dad to change the requirements. Here are two core parts of human fallenness that must be driven out by our discipline, to cite the words used by God. First, the human tendency to suppress the truth about the cost of sin. Adam and Eve both knew that although they had been given the luscious fruit of hundreds, if not thousands, of other trees in the garden to enjoy, there was one tree that was off-limits. The consequence of eating from that tree would be death. In his temptation of Eve, Satan directly contradicted God's word, Satan denying the consequence for sin. You will surely not die. Temptation always minimizes the cost of sin. That is why administering pain for wrong choices is foundational for training a child. When our child starts to crawl and reaches to touch the fireplace, the parent must get down at her level, look her in her eye, and say, No. If she touches it anyway, her fingers should be smacked with the statement, No. This principle is right out of the Garden of Eden. In counseling, it's called setting limits. 
All of parenting is preparing a child for the real world. And in the world God designed, the wage of sin is always destruction. For example, just a couple of sections of Scripture, Galatians 6, verses 7 through 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And by the way, that eternal life starts right now in this world. Or consider Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 14, the blessings for obedience, just a couple sample verses. Verse 1, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. And on and on and on. But in verses 15 through 68, the curses for disobedience. Verse 15, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb, etc., and etc., for 45 more verses. God has designed creation so that reality rewards whatever conforms to his holy nature. Living in conformity to his moral law brings benefit. We reap what we sow. The law of sowing and reaping is a law we depend upon daily, both positively and negatively. If you work hard, I can probably advance my career. If I spend time with people I care about, my relationship with them will probably grow. Negatively, if I eat everything I want to, I will probably gain weight and be unhealthy. If I don't get enough sleep, I will be tired. Disobeying God's laws for the physical, relational, and spiritual world ends in destruction. That is the reality we need to prepare our children for. That is why God urges parents, discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. Training our children means preparing them for reality, which is why giving consequences is foundational to all successful parental training. True change usually comes only when someone's behavior causes him to encounter reality consequences like pain or loss of time, money, possessions, things he enjoys, and people he values. The law of sowing and reaping won't be learned by children just by telling them about it. Parenting experts Cloud and Townsend again observe parents can tell children over and over what is good for them. They can preach about the way things ought to be and the way to success and the good life. But until their preaching and teaching comes true for the child in his experience of consequences, it is only theory, nagging, and parental noise. For the truth to be true to the child, or anyone else actually, it has to be real, not just a concept. Let's observe seven insights for designing consequences. Number one, save consequences for use when a child is developing a bad behavior pattern. Painful consequences for bad behavior come when reasoning, warnings, and talking are not correcting the behavior. 
Second, don't bring consequences automatically, but listen to the child's explanation of her behavior. Nine times out of ten, she will make excuses that should not enable her to avoid consequences for wrong attitudes. But treating her with dignity requires allowing her a hearing. And there might be extenuating circumstances that would make punishment unjust. Third, make the consequences a natural outflow of the crime if you can. If I am perpetually late for dinner, then maybe I miss eating dinner. If I don't do my chores around the house, I may miss out on the privileges that the rest of the family enjoy. Number four, give immediate consequences. The younger the child, the more immediate the consequent needs to be. With young children, firm nose, timeouts, a swat on the behind, and removal from the situation work well. Number five, avoid emotional consequences, rather put into effect reality consequences. Telling Johnny I'm angry with you or shaming him does not teach Johnny to do better. Feeling the pain of loss of screen time or playtime with friends teaches him much better than saying, I'm angry with you. Number six, don't think every right action must be rewarded. Sticker charts and rewards have a place in learning new disciplines or correcting behavior patterns that are especially hard for a particular child to master. But generally, our kids need to know that certain attitudes and behavior are expected as part of being in a family. Number seven, praise good attitudes as often as you correct bad ones. A climate in which children receive a regular diet of affirmation for right attitudes rather than even stickers or financial rewards is really the best way to help the child internalize the motivation to please you and eventually please their Heavenly Father. So, first, our discipline must overcome a primary element of fallen human nature, doubting the destructive consequence of sin and benefits of right behavior. The second component of a child's sinful nature we need to address is the tendency to blame other people or circumstances to excuse their wrong. When Adam and Eve are held accountable by God for their disobedience, we observe the crass instinctive response of fallen humans blaming others for their failures instead of owning them. In fact, Adam is so brazen that he even blames God. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree. What a pathetic picture of manhood, trying to hide behind his wife's skirt for his actions. As the one created to be the protector of the garden and its inhabitants, Adam should have been out in front of Eve, protecting her from Satan's temptation in the first place. As those who have inherited Adam's passive nature, it is worth noting that God's description of Adam's sin was not just that he ate the fruit. God's words of judgment were, "'Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree.'" Adam refused to lead, but chose to follow Eve. Then he blamed his disobedience on her. Eve's first response when confronted with her sin was also to blame someone else. Of course, in her case, the serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Human beings have been trying to avoid taking responsibility for their wrong choices ever since. That is why the second most important principle in child training is the law of responsibility. 
Children come into the world with Adam and Eve's desire to be unaccountable to God stamped into their soul. Children do not want to take control of themselves to adjust to their parents' requirements, life's requirements, or God's requirements. This nature is described by God in the words, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. God created humans to exercise dominion over themselves and their environment on behalf of God himself. This process starts by teaching a child that she is required to take control of herself to adjust to the laws of the world God created, not demand that the world adjust to her wishes and whims. Sometimes clear lines of responsibility, a child knowing what she is and is not responsible for, are called boundaries. Sin has blurred our boundaries. Wanting to be like God, we want accountability to no one. We want to control other people, and we get angry when we can't control the environment around us. This tendency is what the Bible calls folly. Its only answer is firm discipline. Teaching our children what they are and are not responsible for, and giving consequences for good and bad choices. Those with godly character are mature adults who take responsibility, ownership for their feelings, attitudes, behaviors, choices, limits, talents, thoughts, desires, values, and loves. A person who says, my feelings are my problem, or my bad attitude is my problem, is a mature adult, and the kind of person others want to have a relationship with. If they show up late for work, they don't blame the traffic. If they're angry, they go to the source of their anger and deal with it instead of saying, he makes me so mad. In contrast, immature people see themselves as victims blaming others, making excuses, and expecting others to fix their problems. Let's look at just two illustrations of what children are responsible for. First, their feelings. Kids by nature are impulse disorders waiting to happen. There is a direct automatic link between their feelings and behavior. When a child experiences the pain of consequences for the way he expresses his feelings, that will reprogram him. Nathan threw temper tantrums when he was frustrated. His mom changed her approach, saying, I know things make you angry and I feel for your frustration, but your behavior when you're angry is disrupting the rest of the family. So here's the plan. When you're mad, you can tell us that you are because we want you to be honest with your feelings. And if it's about us, we will sit down and try to resolve the problem. But yelling, cursing, stomping, and throwing things are unacceptable. If those happen again, you will go to your room without access to your phone, computer, or music until you can be civil. Then, for the minutes you have disrupted the family, you will need to do the same number of minutes of household chores. As Nathan's mom stuck to her guns, she trained Nathan out of the short circuit from his anger to acting out. It took a while, but Nathan built a new pattern. When he felt anger building up, he began to reason. If I explode in anger, I'm going to spend time away from my phone and doing chores I hate. The pain of consequences did its job. One other sample area that children are responsible for is treating others with respect. 
When two sisters would share their day, the more outgoing daughter, Taylor, kept interrupting the quieter daughter, Heather. The parents said to Taylor, I know you're excited about all you have to tell us, but it's rude to Heather and it hurts her feelings when you interrupt her. We would like you to hold your thought until she's through talking. If you can't, we'll have to double the time Heather can talk until you can restrain yourself. We hope this helps you get more self-control, because otherwise this habit could make people resent you. Well, Taylor tested the system, and her parents followed through with the consequences. On night three, Heather was talking, and the parents noticed Taylor open her mouth and take a breath to speak. But then she looked at her mom and dad with a grin and said, What were you saying, Heather? Establishing consequences to train our children in the way they should go takes a lot of hard work, especially initially. The only thing tougher than implementing your discipline plan to help your child develop ownership for his attitudes and behavior, though, is living with a child who never receives such discipline. Such a child is on his way to becoming a self-centered, unhappy monster. summarize this episode, we observed that despite the imperfections of fathers, they have a special place in the hearts of their children, a place that requires them to raise them up in the way they should go. Paul commanded fathers not to parent by the seat of their pants, waiting until their children make them sufficiently angry to discipline them. Instead, fathers are to be intentional with a plan to use two tools for pruning and shaping our kids into godly character. The first is described by the word paideia which means using consequences to train children. Pain for wrong choices and benefits for right choices are required for children to experience the truth that wrong choices lead to pain and right choices lead to benefit, not just hear that truth. The pain and rewards they experience through consequences enable them to internalize the moral law of God into a rudimentary conscience. That conscience also needs to be reinforced by dads using the second tool, instruction in the way of the Lord. We looked at two consequences of Adam and Eve's rebellion and the passing on of their sinful nature to their progeny. First, children suppress the truth about the cost of sin which explains why God says whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Inflicting pain for wrong attitudes is an act of love, helping a child to know that the wages of sin is death, that he must adjust to the way life works, helping him develop the self-mastery and love of righteousness that will cause him to thrive throughout his life. A second fundamental character flaw that all children demonstrate because of the fall is blaming others for their failures instead of taking full responsibility for their feelings, attitudes, choices, and motivations. Because they are responsible for these feelings and choices, they are also accountable for these feelings and choices and need to experience pain for bad ones and the benefit of making good choices. For further prayerful thought, number one, how would you answer the question, what is the goal of parenting? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. 
This link is also in your show notes. Next week, we continue our June series entitled How God Uses Imperfect Dads to Impact Their Kids' Lives, examining why both compassion and firmness, sometimes called grace and truth, are so foundational for our parenting to succeed. Thanks for joining us for today's episode.